Good morning, Calvary Monument Bible Church. We're glad you're with us today in church online. We hope that you received communication this week, either in your inbox or through the mail, regarding our reopening on June 14th. If you would have questions or like to uh, get a little bit more details regarding what that reopening is going to look like, we are going to have a Zoom meeting today following the services. That is May 31st, Sunday, May 31st, from 11.30 to 12.30 p.m. And you're welcome to jump on Zoom and interact with us, dialogue, ask any questions that you have uh, related to our soon coming reopening of the building here at Calvary Monument. Well, we are continuing our study in the Gospel of John, and today we are in a very transitional part of the farewell discourse. We are at the end of Jesus's teaching in the farewell discourse. In fact, some like to say that the farewell discourse ends in John 16. Others carry it through John 17. But today we're going to conclude John 16. We've reached the epilogue, what's known as the epilogue of Jesus's farewell discourse to his disciples. And he has told them that there is a time for sorrow that is coming soon. But behind that, he's also given them the promise that joy would follow the morning. And now today, what we're going to explore and see in his text is that there's a promise of peace and a promise of victory. And our time together today, friends, is going to be a little bit different than it normally is. Normally, we spend a great deal of time in exposition and then conclude with application. But today, we're going to spend some time in exposition, but also some time in application. As we saw last week in our text, Jesus is giving us a perfect example through this season of how to lead in times of change and transition. Excuse me. We want to answer the question today, friends, how will Calvary Monument Bible Church thrive in light of her victory won by Jesus? And, and I have shared this with you, friends, I know now multiple times, but I believe we need to say it again, that we are at a time in the history of the church where we are going to be facing great change. In light of COVID-19 and the realities that have come behind it, but, but also for us, church, it's not just in light of COVID-19. There are other changes coming as well that will be significant for our body. And we want to unpack and explore how we can thrive, how we can function, how we can lead, love, and live in times of change, in times of transition. If you have your Bibles today, I would invite you to open them to John chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 33 of John 16 today. That's John 16, verses 25 to 33. And before we start to read, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we come together in this time knowing that there is a wall of change before us. We acknowledge this morning, Lord, that things are going to look different coming out on the other side of COVID-19 than they did before three months ago. We acknowledge today, Lord, that there are going to be other changes in our congregation that are going to take place in the next 8 to 12 months that we need to prepare for, and we need to pray about, and we need to focus our minds on your scriptures and commit ourselves to what you've called us to do. 
Lord, we need your help. Change is not easy. It doesn't always feel comfortable. Sometimes it's hard to grasp, wrap our minds around, and we are weak, Lord. We need you to guide us. We need you to direct us. And not just through the change that we face, but Lord, as we enter your text today, again, we see a perfect example of your son Jesus leading his disciples through change. Father, we ask today that we would learn from his example. We would glean from it what you would have for us. And then that we would apply it in our lives in the times of change and transition that you bring. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 16, verse 25 to 33. This is Jesus speaking. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, in Jesus' coming and going, we witness a season of great change and transition for the life of the disciples and their ministry and what Jesus had called them to do. Following his resurrection, Jesus, his teaching would no longer appear to the disciples to be a figure of speech. His resurrection body would be speaking plainly to them. And the power and the nature of the Father would be on full display in Jesus' resurrected body. Jesus reassures his disciples in verse 26 and 27. Take a look. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Friends, the, the love of the Father is freely given. It's freely bestowed on all of those who love Jesus and believe that he came from the Father. And because of Jesus, the Father's love avails itself to us without hindrance. God, he hears our prayers through Jesus, but it is not Jesus who asks God on our behalf. The beauty of Jesus' finished work on the cross is that we get to go As believers, as disciples, we get to go unfettered 
into the throne room of grace. And we get to ask. And because we love Jesus and believe on who he is, God hears our petitions. Church, God loves us. He listens to our prayers. He hears from us when we speak to him. And indeed, being together with the Father, interacting through prayer with the Father is such an important and vital piece of leading in times of change. Jesus is going to model this next week as we open John 17 and we have one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture before us. Prayer is essential to success in times of change. Jesus reminds his disciples in our text today from who he came and to whom he is going. Look at verse 28. I came from the Father. And I have come into the world and now I am leaving and going to the Father. All of this transition, all of this change. It's interesting, the world, the world put a return to sender stamp on Jesus' life and ministry. They rejected him. And you know what, church? It was to our benefit that they did. The rejection of Jesus on this earth was exactly in line with the will of God and plan for Jesus' life and ministry. And apart from this reality, the truth of Jesus' utter rejection, we would have found no favor with the Father. It is because Jesus was despised that we have found favor with God. It is because Jesus was mocked that we can repent and find forgiveness of our sins. It is because Jesus suffered and faced crucifixion that we can have reconciliation and redemption with God. Spoken plainly, there is no room for doubt or unbelief. His disciples were either going to believe the message that Jesus was now teaching them and experience new life that was going to come in light of Jesus' resurrection, or they would not be able to be his disciples at all. Take a look at their response in verses 29 and 30 of our text today. This is how Jesus' disciples respond to him at the beginning. They say, ah, now you're speaking plainly, not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Church, the time for questions, it had come to an end. Remember the, the first few chapters of the farewell discourse, what did we see? And really, it's the example in all of John. If you go through John and you track the number of times that Jesus has asked a question, it's amazing. Over and over and over again, people are questioning Jesus. And in John 14 to 16, it's his disciples. But the time for questions is now over. They've been answered. Jesus has provided comfort. He's given assurance. He's restored hope. Look at verse 30. Now we know that you know all things. The belief of the disciples is confirmed in both their understanding of what Jesus knows. They now know that he knows all things. But also in their recognition of from whom he was sent. The fullness of his disciples' belief is secured in this understanding. And, and once again, 
Friends, isn't it interesting? Here we are at the end of John 16. And it's vital for us to pause and to reflect and to remember which disciple is missing. Who's not here? There's one who's already abandoned the group to chase the coin and betray the Savior. Judas has not heard any of these words. And his destruction would be his own undoing. And he would die at the end of his own rope. But for those disciples who remained, there was belief, there was conviction that Jesus was indeed who he said he was all through the Gospels, the Son of God. And Jesus reminds them that though there was belief, this belief would not be free from trial and tribulation. And isn't really that the reality of our stories today here on this earth? Friends, fellow disciples, we say we believe, we do believe, many of us. But that does not mean that just because we believe that life is going to be easy and free from trial and tribulation and change and transition and difficulty and heartache, those things are all around us and ever before us. And sometimes it's interesting, the confidence of our belief. I've seen this before. I've seen brothers in Christ who are strong in the faith and then there's an event in their life that happens that causes their confidence and their belief to erode. Trials and tribulations on this earth can erode the confidence of our belief. But Jesus' words at the end of our text today, they are so powerful because they remind us that there is a divine victory. And it thankfully does not depend on the strength of our beliefs because there are times, quite frankly, friends, when we are weak. We know we are weak. We cannot do it. We need the Lord to give us the faith, give us the belief, give us the strength, give us the hope to carry on. And the victory that Jesus secured doesn't depend on the strength of our belief, but rather on the perfect love and power of God. Take a look down at verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you know now? Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Do you now believe? The hour had come when Jesus' closest friends and closest disciples would abandon him. It was an hour that was prophesied about all the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah. The prophet had spoken about this time that was coming. Look at what he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. And though all of those who were closest on earth would abandon their shepherd, the Father would remain. Jesus would not go through this time alone. God 
was with him. And one of the overwhelming themes through the Gospels, really through the New Testament, remains. And that is that the failures and shortcomings and sins and misdoings of man do not thwart, cannot thwart, have no power and no play over the eternal plans and purposes of God. So the question we might ask as we're in this epilogue at the end of the farewell discourse today, is why did Jesus say all of these things to his disciples? Starting back in John 14, Jesus had a purpose for his final and resounding message. And it's a twofold purpose that he unpacks in verse 33. Take a look down at verse 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Because of Jesus' work on our behalf, we are to have peace, church. Because of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the world, we are to take heart and live in light of that victory, even in days of trial. And tribulation. So I said today at the beginning of our time that our time together would look a bit different today than it normally does. And today we're going to spend a great deal of time unpacking how might our lives look in light of these realities. And and I suspect that for some of us there are deep and personal reflections on the promises that Jesus gives in this text. The hope of peace the promise of victory because Jesus has overcome the world. We too will overcome the world. Some of us know what it means to find peace in the midst of great trial and tribulation. There are some who have taken heart when confronted with difficult things like death, illness, heartache, grief, those who are able to live in this overcoming victory. And those personal applications, they are really important, and I trust that the Spirit is going to guide each of you towards the personal applications of these truths today in your own life. But our desire today is to take a look a little bit more closely at some of the corporate applications and corporate implications of this text for our church Again, we want to answer this question. How will Calvary Monument Bible Church thrive in light of her victory secured by Christ? And friends, as I share with you today, again, you are at home. Uh, Maybe some of you are driving. I'm not sure where you may be listening today. Some of you are uh, home by yourselves. Some of you are home on the couch with a group of people. But regardless of where where you are today, where we are today, where we're watching, we stand at a chasm of great change. And on one side of the chasm is where we currently are. And on the other side is where Jesus is leading us. And what lies in between, we cannot see. We can only anticipate what may be. We have already spoken multiple times of how things will look different when we begin to regather. We know it will not look or feel the same and 
And we know that our world today is very different than it was even six to eight months ago. And we're not sure what all the new implications and patterns and rhythms will bring to the body of Christ. We, we just can't anticipate those things yet. But what we do know is this, whether we realize it or not, our culture, our community, our world is always in a state of change. And I will share with you today, CNBC family, that the changes that are coming for us are not just related to COVID-19. Yes, some of those changes will be significant and there will be many to navigate. However, there are perhaps even more enormous changes coming to our ministry and to our church family. Changes that I would desire to unpack and communicate and explore together with you today. I want you to know that Pastor Tom Hubbard has announced to the staff and to the elders that he will be retiring as of June 30th. And this will lead to change in how we care for our senior saints and friends who are unable to participate in our ministries, in our building. It will also affect change in our patterns of congregational care, visitation, and more. Pastor Tom has been a stabilizing force and presence for this congregation. He's been that for me as well, friends. His ministry experience, his expertise, they will be sorely missed. And thankfully, he and Susan will be continuing uh, to worship and be part of our congregation and CNBC family here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. And and I know that because of, of who Tom is and his desire to love others, that he will continue to guide and mentor young leaders in our congregation. Thankfully, Susan will also be continuing in her role, uh, helping to disciple women within our church family. But Pastor Tom's retirement is not the only change coming to the CNBC staff. This summer, we will also begin to be making significant leadership transitions within our music ministry. Edie Weaver, who has uh, led in this position now for a number of years, will be helping to lead this change as she steps away from her music ministry responsibilities but remains in her administrative support position here at CNBC. Aware of this transition for a number of months now, our elders have spent a great deal of time praying, discussing music ministry at CNBC, and exploring options for the future leadership of CNBC's music ministry. This position will be a unique position to fill. We anticipate a workload of between 10 to 15 hours per week in this ministry area. And we've already thankfully seen God's hand of provision leading and guiding in the early stages of this ministry transition as a very strong candidate has been presented to and interviewed by our elder board. We're trusting the Lord that he will guide and direct these transitions in music ministry leadership. And we are anticipating the change in leadership as early as September 1st. This entire season coming out of COVID-19, friends, what we are entering into together as a congregation will be an, an enormous season of change and transition for the life of our CNBC family. 
I would ask that today you would begin to pray. Please uh, write it down on a notepad on your coffee table, wherever you sit in the evening, maybe hang it on your fridge. Pray for CNBC. Pray for our church family. Pray for these changes and these transitions. All of these changes taken together will significantly affect and influence our current staff's workflow, areas of responsibility and oversight, as well as day-to-day systems, processes, and operations. It is all going to be influenced by these changes. So, boy, I'll tell you, as I look at these things, being in the position I am here, I would be lying to you if, if I didn't say it feels overwhelming. It is overwhelming, friends. It is a lot of change. And so we're confronted with the question, what is our response in times of great change? You know, so, some days I wake up and I feel like I just want to bury my head in the sand and ask all the ugly change monsters to go away, pretend like they don't exist, that it's not going to happen, that we're just going to be able to continue on like nothing's changed. But that's not the reality that we're facing. So in these times, do we display an attitude of ungratefulness, of blaming or complaining or wishing things would just go back to the way that they always were or the way that they used to be? Or better, do we grab hold of the truth in verse 33 of today's text and realize that because Jesus has overcome the world, church, we will overcome too no matter the changes he brings to our ministry. So how do we navigate? This is important. We want to explore this together this morning because we recognize these are great changes. How do we navigate and make decisions in times of change and transition? Uh, We're not just uh, throwing a target up on the wall and just shooting darts at it. There are some very clear and practical insights from the scriptures that help us understand and know how to navigate and make decisions in times of change. The first we alluded to today already, friends, we start with persistence in prayer. Friends, prayer is a recognition that we are incapable of doing what God has called us to apart from his work in us and through us, we are going to need the guiding hand of Jesus in our lives in every single step of the coming transitions that we face. And these changes will not happen in a way that is healthy and unifying to the body of CNBC unless we commit to bathing them in fervent and persistent prayer. How glorious it's been to to log in online Wednesday night and see 60, 80 folks, two people in a room, three, four, some uh, gathered around to pray. People inviting people to come over to their homes so that they can participate in prayer meeting together. Friends, this has already started and it will continue. I'm calling our congregation today in this time to join us for a special time of focused prayer for each of these areas this coming Wednesday night. And every one of you will receive an invitation in your email inbox 
to join a Zoom prayer meeting uh, this coming Wednesday where we will be praying with a focus on the changes and transitions that are coming to Calvary Monument. Changes related to COVID-19. Transitions related to Pastor Tom's retirement. Transitions related to our leadership transitions in music ministry. We need to unite together and lead these changes with a persistence in prayer. And I'm calling us friends to do that together, to pray together in this immense season of change for CNBC. But along with a persistence in prayer, there's also a reliance on the scriptures. We love the word of God at Calvary Monument Bible Church because we believe it is the very revelation of God himself to man. And one of the great hopes and truths and glorious realities about the scriptures is this. No matter how much change we are facing in the world around us, and there can be a lot of it all at once, what the scriptures do is they bring us back to an anchor, to an unchanging rock. There are things that do not change. One of those things, friends, is that This word will be preached from the pulpit at Calvary Monument Bible Church because the nature of our God does not change. Who he is is true from beginning to end. The God who has no beginning and no end. And so we rely on these scriptures to give us hope because we know in times of great change, they reveal to us the unchanging nature and character of the God that we serve. And so we, we have persistence in prayer. We have a reliance on scripture. But friends, also a commitment to the mission and vision of Calvary Monument Bible Church. Indeed, what has God called us to do? And and we can commit to this with great confidence because it is uh, both statements, mission and vision statements are statements that are deeply grounded in the scriptures and come from and flow out of truths that are communicated and woven from beginning to end throughout the word of God. I think it's important today that we take a look at both of these statements, that we unpack them a little bit and refresh our minds about them because they are guiding and directing decisions that are being made for the body of Christ at CNBC in these times of change and transition. Let's start with our mission statement. Our mission statement says that we are loving, living, and leading for God's glory. And, and really the foundation for this statement is the phrase at the end of it, for God's glory. And it's a phrase that's taken directly from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God of God. Everything we do is for God's glory. Whether we're inside this building, outside this building, whether we're walking shoulder to shoulder 
with brothers and sisters in Christ or whether the Lord has placed us in a place where we're ministering to unbelievers, no matter where we're at, everything in our lives is to be directed to the glory of God. Change comes, friends, as an opportunity for growth. The Lord brings it to challenge us, to encourage us, to help us to grow. The foundation of our mission is that we would glorify God with every action, with every attitude, with every pattern, motivation, and behavior of our lives. But then we have to look back at the first three words. There's great intentionality, by the way, in the order of the words. That is not just an accident. Those words were placed in that order with great intentionality. I believe it's, it's a biblical priority. Love must lead. Friends, in times of change and transition, love comes first. Love's, love comes first because it's first in Jesus' order of priorities for his believers. And Jesus affirms this in a text that we've reviewed together already, but it's good for us to look at it again. John chapter 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Our mission statement communicates that it is our desire that the example of our lives would be that we would love, live, and lead in a way that would bring glory to God. There is a way to love that's not very loving that brings glory to ourselves. All of us have experienced that kind of love or fake love at some time or another in our lives. There's a way to live that brings glory to ourselves. All we have to do is turn on the TV and that way of living is ever before us. We see it modeled maybe in the places that we go to work every day, maybe in our neighborhoods or communities. There's a way to live that brings glory to man. And there's a way to lead that props up and elevates man's strength over God's greatness. And we've seen that. Uh, Men in leadership positions abusing those places. But friends, our desire is is to be different than the world. And we don't want to look, we don't want to live, we don't want to love, and we don't want to lead in that way. And we want to do it in a way that glorifies God and brings Him honor. He must increase, and we must decrease. Now, the question is, as we face these changes, will we live according to what we say our mission is. As these times of transition come upon us, will we revert to autopilot and just doing what is comfortable and easy? Will we choose default behavior that's guided by our emotions and feelings? Or will we discipline our minds so that our actions prove that we want God to be glorified as we live out that which He has called us to? My prayer is church is that as we face this change together that we will choose to step boldly 
into whatever new horizons God may be leading us towards. How do we know if we're doing it though? How do we know if we're loving, living, and leading for God's glory? How do we know if it's happening in and among us? And friends, the answer is found in our vision statement. If we're living out the mission, what God has called us to as a body of Christ, then what we should be seeing is what we communicate in our vision statement. Take a look together. Growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. Our vision statement states that our mission will be realized in the Spirit's production of growth in our lives. That we would be growing in a greater love for God and we would be growing in a greater love for each other. And again, these are concepts that are deeply woven throughout the very fabrics of Scripture. Take a look at Matthew chapter 22. The lawyer comes to Jesus seeking to be justified. He has a question for him. Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. And really, friends, as we look at our mission statement and our vision statement together, we can sum up both of these statements with three very succinct, but I believe powerful sentences that all begin with Jesus' example. Jesus demonstrated that love must lead. Jesus taught us that healthy people grow. And Jesus lived and died to bring glory to God. Church, Jesus is our great example of how to lead, handle, and bring glory to God in the heart of changes and transitions that he brings our way. And change is a fabulous opportunity for us to grow in a greater love. And we will learn new ways to love. And friends, the Lord will bring us new people to love. And again, I would ask that we would commit the next 8 to 12 months to prayer, fervent, persistent prayer for the ministry, for the body of Calvary Monument Bible Church. That was a lot to take in, I'm sure. It's it's been a lot for me. This season, to be honest with you, as I stand and share with you today, has been a season of enormous change, not just in the life of our church family here at CNBC, but in the life of my personal family at home as well. And I want to share a testimony today that might encourage you as you reflect on the change that we're about to face as a congregation. Five months ago, we brought these little guys home from Haiti. Their adoption into our family is complete and they have moved from busy Port-au-Prince, Haiti, to rural, quiet, southern Lancaster County. In one instant, their entire world changed literally completely. The enormity of the changes that we've faced in our home in the past five months, I could not overstate to you today. Nothing is the same as it was before. Nothing. Not for us as parents 
not for our biological children, not for these adoptive boys and for their brothers who are following soon. Our home today looks, feels, and sounds incredibly different than just five months ago. There are still emotions that we're navigating every day. Our emotions, our own emotions as adults and parents in the home, our children's emotions. The atmosphere of change does not come without consequence. Change is going to bring change. There are consequences. There are realities. There are things that are going to be different. And that is what we have faced in our home. You know, honestly, at first... There were many tears. It was hard. It was very hard. There were a lot of short nights of sleep. Some sleepless nights. Sleeping in a flo- on a floor in a bedroom. There were times when I felt like we were one meltdown away in our home to just total and utter chaos. We didn't sleep right. All of our sleeping patterns changed. We weren't eating right. All of our eating habits had changed. We weren't playing and enjoying life together right. All of the normal habits of the day-to-day routines had been completely overturned, flipped. Our communication looked different in our home. All of a sudden, there was this new language that was being spoken. There were new behaviors that presented challenges. Unique challenges. Really, friends, this change, it shook us to our core. You have these two little yet very new and unique personalities that take some time getting used to. And we beg God for his provision. And we cried together as a family. And we still do. And we still have our moments. And we have moments where we plead for God's strength to help us through each day. And we recognize our daily weakness and inability, and we still do. Change is hard. But I believe I can stand here today with a testimony that it is good and it is rewarding. It is good and it is rewarding. And it can be incredibly delightful. God has used this season to help all who are in our home grow. Sheila and I have grown as parents and as people. All of our children have grown. Every one of them, Brighton, Bailey, Brody, Levinsky, and Yuri, have all grown immensely through this season. And I'm so very proud of every child in our home and how each one of them has leaned into the season of change and seized it as an opportunity to grow in a greater love for God and a greater love for their brothers and their their sister and their mom and their dad, the people that the Lord has placed in their pathway right now. And To be honest, if you talk to my children, if you interviewed them, we do get interviewed by our social worker every few months, and they're very honest with her. I'm sure they'd be honest with you. It has not been easy. It has not come without difficulty, without tribulation, without trial. But as I look at our text today, 
I'm reminded that these things are just part of the world we live in today. Friends, in this world, we will have trial. In this world, we will have tribulation. In this world, there will be change. There will be transition. But what great hope, what great peace to know that we serve Jesus and Jesus has overcome the world. And because he has overcome, friends, we too will overcome as well. I would ask you today, as a church family, that we would take this change on together, that we would embrace it for God's glory, and that we would lead in the same example as Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your word today is so applicable in the life of our body. As we look ahead and look forward to this great change that you are bringing, that you're bringing on the end of COVID-19, that you are going to bring as we transition in the way that we care for our congregation, as you bring change that is going to cause us to transition in our music ministry and its leadership. Lord, today, what we want to do is unite as a body of Christ around prayer, persistent prayer, and reliance on your word and a commitment to what you have called us to in your word, the mission and the vision that you have given us. Lord, that we would be a people that would seize change as an opportunity to glorify you and to grow. I know, Lord, in our flesh, our first reaction, it's mine as well, is going to be to complain. It's going to be to, to gripe and grouse and to, to not be super excited. And when something's different and we were expecting it to be like something else, Lord, we're going to stumble. We're not going to get this right. We are weak people who are unable to accomplish this apart from you. Lord, I need your help. And I know your spirit is going to have to be at work in every believer in our church family through this season. And so, Father, it is in faith that we lean into you in this season. Cause us to love. Cause us to be an example in the way that we live. And help us to lead in a way that might glorify and honor you. And Lord, I pray that through it all, as the community looks on, as an unbelieving world looks on, as the outside world looks on, they will see a people that are growing, that are growing together, that are growing in a greater love for you and a greater love for one another. We'll need your help, Lord, but we know that you can do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next week.